This is Family Electric Coast, and we are live on the air on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter. And we're with our guest tonight, uh, Angela Meyer. And this is the first time she's been on the show. But we wanted to let everybody know that we are on Newsly. Within an hour, we'll be on that platform. So you can stop scrolling and start listening. Use coupon code GHOST and get one month premium subscription for free. So you can stop scrolling and start listening. So thank you for being on the program. How are you tonight? I'm doing really good. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited. Well, we always like to have all kinds of people on the show. We initially started with only interviewing musicians, and then we've gone beyond that to do, do talking to, uh, you know, uh, shamans, CEOs, film directors, actors, <clears throat> painters, right. all different people, because it's just, you know, it's the highest universe has expanded, and so the, our show has become that. We've been on the air since 2016. But um, wow. yeah, now, well, as a video, 2020, but we've been doing podcasts since 2016, so. Good for you. Then for being on the show. Um, one of the things we like to talk about with people um, that come on the show is like uh, what you want to focus on. I, I see you've been multiple things. You're a certified hypnotherapist, an NLP practitioner, maybe you can tell people what NLP is, an author, a motivational speaker, and a wellness coach. So... I'm not familiar with NL, NL, NLP. Um, can you tell people what that is? NLP is what you would consider neuro-linguistic programming. And I was actually at a two-day event in Washington, and a gentleman came up to me, and he was asking me about you know, him getting certified in NLP. And I told him that there's two aspects to it. There's one aspect where if you're into sales, it's really great because it teaches you rapport with people. Um, a lot of, <clears throat> I hate to say this, car salesmen go into <laughs> some of the NLP training because they know how to convince you based on, you know, if you're visual, auditory, kinesthetic. So an example would be you knew the make and model of the car you wanted, but not until you drove it and you felt how it drove were you convinced you wanted to buy it. So that shows that more how the car feels matters more to you than how the car looks. Oh, you're that type of person. You're more like, yes. And they'll use that to their advantage. And so I told him, I said, I don't like manipulating people and, you know, in that way, based on the language that they use and stuff. I said, but there's parts of NLP that I love and that's parts therapy that's um, the timeline therapy and future pacing, because all of us have different conflicting parts within us. And a good example of that could be, I, I really want to do this, but there's a part of me, I, I just can't do it. And so that part is actually, you know, running the show in the background. And some people think of it as that part is self-sabotage. But if you research it, that part always has a positive underlying intent because it's trying to keep you safe. So Mm -hmm. a a good story I share with people about parts therapy, and this is one gentleman I worked with, um, he hated the holidays, especially Christmas. And there was one year he came into the clinic I was working at and he was ranting and raving, hated the Christmas tree, hated the Christmas music decorations, just hated it. And they wanted me to have a serious talk with him. So I pulled him aside and I'm like, dude, what happened to you during the holidays, especially Christmas? I know you got a story behind it. Everybody does. You got a story behind it. There's a part of you that hates it. Why? So he shared that when he was around nine years old, um, he loved Christmas so much. And he grew up in a family that, you know, was Russian and their belief was you do not get the Christmas tree until Christmas Eve. That's when you get it. You decorate the house. That's when you start to celebrate Christmas. Well, this year he he didn't want to wait. And while his parents were at work, he um, he wasn't at school that day. He didn't have to go. So he went out, cut down a tree, dragged it all the way home, decorated the whole house. And when they walked in after work he was like surprise let's celebrate christmas early well he did not get the response he expected 
His parents were so mad at him. They made him take the tree down, throw it outside, pack up all the decorations. And while he was standing on the stairs before he was going to go be sent to his room, his parents said, now you're not going to get dinner tonight. I want you to go to your room and think about what you did was wrong. And when you're ready to come down and apologize, well, then we'll talk. And I was like, that is messed up. Yeah. I said to him, okay, now I understand that part of you that hates Christmas because you don't want to get wounded again and you don't want to get disappointed or hurt again. So you hate it. But then there's this part of you that loved it so much. But here's the key thing I told him is I know you have kids and Christmas is for children. And it's all about love and joy and celebration and being together. And you're killing that joy, that love, that celebration. So would you like to fix that? And the guy got all emotional and he's like, yes, I know I'm ruining it for my kids. I shouldn't be doing this. It's not fair to them. And so we did a parts therapy. I had him go back along that timeline to when he was that little, little boy and have a conversation with him because that part of him still thinks he's nine years old, but the guy was literally in his forties. And so I had to have him give that part a new job. He had to apologize to it. He had to thank it for, you know, keeping him safe and stuff and preventing him from getting hurt. But now that he had kids, it was wreaking havoc. So I had those two parts to come together Then what I did was I had those two parts go out into the future and see how would it be to where they could all enjoy the holidays together. The kids laughing and smiling, him enjoying the the joy and love in his kids' eyes and just really, you know, making the most of it. And he was like, wow, it changed his life. That's really interesting. I think people get caught in a loop, you know, and, you know, because... I'm a musician, so by you know we can kind of think about the same ideas. But people get stuck in, in a period, you know. And what we do as musicians, we try to actually recall, like cinematically through music, people you know will take our songs and it'll bring them back to a moment that's important to them, even though it's universal. And sometimes people get stuck in those moments, and then they keep on listening to that same song, and they put it right. on repeat because they keep on re- reliving that point. And sometimes we're like, as an artist, it's like yeah you know, people will like that one song and they won't like anything else because they like being in that loop and then they won't go beyond that. <laughs> and so it's like, you said, well, we got you to listen to something else. Don't keep on listening to the same thing, <laughs> but uh, it's the same idea. Like you, you got to get out of that pattern. Otherwise it's like, you know, it's not fair to his kids to, to, to be stuck in that position though. That's where he was. So I mean, that's in a, that's a reality for him. Yeah. So in reality, his whole reality changed, you know, which was a positive and it just supported, you know, everyone uh, along the way. And so I, I really do like NLP and there's a, um, they've actually explored more. There's an, another form of therapy called IFS it's internal family systems. And that is all about parts therapy as well. And um, because we, as human beings, we do have all these little parts that are running, you know, the show in the background. And, and, and when we're born, we're born whole, you know, we're, we're just this pure, whole, solid person. And with certain life experiences and things that happen, those parts get fragmented. They break away from the whole. And um, and it forms these different personalities and different behaviors and different traits within ourselves. And, um, and they all are, you know, designed to, you know, it's all about survival and, you know, perseverance and resilience and all of that. And, and sometimes it just gets to a point in a person's life where they need to put those puzzle pieces back together and become whole again and really find your authentic self, not what society wants of you or religion or your parents or, you know, all this other stuff, all these beliefs and things that are just like filled in your mind when you're growing up. Now you get to find yourself. How do you want to feel? How do you want to live? How do you want to be? How do you want, do you want to exist or do you want to live? 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, so you're a podcaster as well, and you've also you you've yeah. named your podcast. Um, you have a book, right? That, that's the same name as your podcast. Yeah, is that the, true? Yeah, the book is the Undetected Narcissist, and I wrote it to save lives, really, and to support families and to really protect children because when I was recovering from being in a relationship with a, a covert narcissist, every book that I looked into, nobody told their story. And we have been storytellers for thousands of years. I mean, we sat around the campfire and told stories. You know, then we would read the newspaper and read books to each other of different stories. And a lot of people were telling me, you need to tell your story. You need to write it because it's so important. And, you know, you, you've got to do this. And, you know, when I wrote it, it was it was really, really different. It was challenging, I got to say. But it was very easy because I'm very organized <laughs> that I had folders for every year. I saved all the emails, all the legal documents. And when I started putting the book together, there was things that I was able to see that I wasn't able to see when I was caught up in all the drama. And so I really learned how to teach people how to decode and detect, you know, emails and legal documents, because I was when I highlighted just the keywords, it was in everybody's face, but no one can see it. And why I called it the undetected narcissist is he fooled over a dozen people that were meant to help us out in the community, like a judge, a parent coordinator, an attorney, a child psychologist, a counselor, a therapist. I mean, there was all these people, but when you're not educated and informed, they go undetected. Mm. And you get victimized. A person can be turned into a flying monkey. They know how to, you know, smear the person. And there was all, I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, he was even able to convince the judge that if our son who has autism lived with him, then all the autism behaviors would go away. But here's the key, and the judge bought it. But here's the key thing. Our son no longer sees his dad, but he doesn't have the behaviors. And it wasn't the behaviors. It was all trauma related. And okay. no one was trauma informed either. Wow. Because when I did the research about trauma, and I'm actually going through a certification to be a master trauma specialist. Um, when I looked into all of that, I'm like, oh, my God, all his behaviors were all trauma related because he was being taken away from his secure attachment style with me and being given to a person that had an avoidant attachment style that would neglect him and ignore him and, um, and was passive aggressive to him. And it's just, no one was educated in this stuff. And, and so it went undetected. And so I really wanted to, you know, write about this about it and talk about it because it is happening to children and families all over the United States every single day, every single day. And to me, it, it's, it's a crime. It's considered child abuse. Yeah. It's like a psycho psychological, but it also can be, you know, display itself in domestic, you know, violence. Is, is yes. That and that's true? the thing. Yes. That's the thing I really want to stress that a lot of people don't understand is when they see the word domestic violence, they immediately think it's you're being physically beaten. Mm -hmm. No, you're being mentally beaten too. <laughs> yes. Because emotional and mental abuse is more damaging than physical abuse because when they do it, it is meant to cut so deep like a knife. Yeah. And then yeah, nobody can address it. But the problem is, is like, you know, if you you call the police, if they don't see it physically, then they're like, they're well, like, they can't do anything, right? Because they don't see a bruise. They don't see a broken arm. They don't see physical damage. But that psychological damage can be more so, you know, so damaging that it can, you know, you can stymie your progress. It can keep you from being able to be you. You know, I think, I think it, you cannot 
actualize because you're kind of stuck in a loop. You get stuck in that, in that, you know, the, the being the victim of that type of thing. And no one, no one believes you. People don't well, believe you, you. Yeah. You get you, stuck in, you experience identity erosion. Your sense of self gets stripped away because they gaslight you so much to make you question your reality. Then you become hypervigilant. So then they think you're crazy when you're really not crazy. You just are a heightened state of anxiety and the hard part is when law enforcement comes involved, the real victim is the one that has the anxiety, the one that is just like they can appear crazy, but they're not. The real perpetrator is the one that's calm and quiet and smiling. Yeah, talking, until you know? you're talking to the officer and you might be <clears throat> the victim might have gotten so emotional. They might be screaming. Yes. They might be yelling. So the officer is going to think they're the one with the problem. And then they, they oh they got some kind of mania they're 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 acting out and the other person's totally calm but just because you're calm doesn't mean you're not like even Jeffrey Dahmer was calm <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer got missed because he was so calm you know if you think about some of the greatest serial killers they were super calm they got past the authorities multiple times they've been they would be caught and then they would be let go because oh this guy's this guy's fine. He's no, there's no problem with this guy at all because they, they're really good at, 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 at kind of faking it. You have that mask on. When you have that mask, people can't see who the real person is because they, they, they're good at, at, at understanding how they're, how they're presenting themselves. And I think that makes it very dangerous. If somebody really knows how to present themselves in any situation, then they can kind of get over on you. You're exactly right, because in the very first chapter of the book, I talk about, um, I think her name is Gabby um, Petio or Peto, the, the girl that ended up um, going, got killed. Oh, by, the, by her boyfriend? Yes, by her boyfriend. And yeah. the thing is, is the cops did pull him over. And they I didn't did see watch, yeah, they... <laughs> I, yeah, I watched the cam footage. And he was joking and laughing with them and smiling. Yeah, and, <laughs> and she was crying and she was the one that was, you know, apologetic and everything. But here's the thing they missed is she literally said that he took her face and she showed with her hands that he squeezed her face and dug his nails into her face that when she touched her skin, it burned. Okay. Mm -hmm. They totally disregarded that because when he was talking to his superior officer and was thinking of letting them go, the officer asked, did anyone have any bodily injuries? And she did. And he said, no, mm -hmm. he totally disregarded. And he told her that she was a hundred percent at fault which was a crock. Okay. I mean, yeah. so that's yeah, how I, you know, the police need new training. Yes, yeah, they well, really I, do because well, they we, do I, argue that. I can argue that for a couple of reasons, but <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, just being in African American, my experience with the police is sometimes they come into it as a whole different thing, but I think they are the same kind of situation that women could be running into African American men. We run into it. You know, I've been pulled over and then people ask me like, do I own the car? The first thing they asked me, do I own the car, right? So did they ask everybody that? I don't know that. I don't think so. But yeah, I talked to some of my friends. He, the guy's a, a kid I've been friends with since 12 years old. He's an Irish lawyer. He's like, well, I, no one ever asked me that. And I was like, yeah, you're a lawyer. You should know. And he's like, yeah. He's like, he, he's, like he, he's a defense attorney, so he deals with a lot. But yeah, I mean, I, the idea, I, I, I think the police need a lot of retraining because I don't think they consider sociological aspects I don't think they get the psychological training. They definitely don't get the kind of compassion training to like, you know, understand when they're in a domestic violence situation, they need to be trained by psychologists and sociologists so they understand what they're looking at, right? They, they, they can pick up this narcissist. If they don't get the training, they're never going to pick it up. They're just going to go, oh, this is the code. I know the law code is a, all the different rules, but like, do you understand you're in a situation where I think you need to understand sociology. You need to understand psychology. You need to understand yeah, therapy. And they don't seem to be willing to learn it. Or, you know, maybe there's some are more evolved. I haven't really run into them. <laughs> but, well, I had a situation where my kiddo um, kind of broke down. 
and um, was having like a psychotic meltdown. And I literally did have to call the police on him. And I had to ask for the mental health unit to come. And when they came, I asked the, there was four officers that actually showed up and one mental health person that showed up. And I asked all of them, are any of you trained in narcissism? Do you know about a covert narcissist? And every single one said no. And then I looked at them and I'm like, well, you need to get educated and informed and trained about this. And I said, now, any of you trained in trauma, you know, direct trauma, indirect trauma. And the mental health guy said, yeah. And I said, well, if you, I said, good, the officers will all know. And I'm like, well, you know what? This actually is a trauma call that you went on. My son is literally having a trauma flashback, you know, mental breakdown. That's why I wanted, you know, the mental health people to be here. And it was like, to me, it was so frustrating because they, one of the officers, when they sat down and talked to my kiddo, my, when my son relayed back to me, the conversation they had on the doorstep, I was like, what the hell? I mean, (laughs) they can go very badly in some situations because a lot of times they're trained in so much like criminal type of behavior, right? Yeah. And they don't have the sociological and psychological training. They, they you could call the cops and your kid could get your kid killed, you know, in yeah. certain situations because they will just automatically go for the gun. And, and you know, it may be not appropriate, but they don't know the difference because they, didn't, they don't have the training. And so certain situations can get way out of hand because right. they, yeah, and it, it, it's really dangerous. And this is where I think people need to understand, like, there, there's a level of training. It doesn't have to go that far, but it, it yeah. happens a lot. You know, people will be surprised how many times that happens. But um, you, you, I think they they really need to read your book. They need to get training. They need to understand because it's, you, the last thing you want to do is call somebody for a call like that and end up make it worse than it was. Right. By, like not being able to get back, you know, come back from it, <laughs> you know. Well, exactly. And that's why with my podcast, I really touch on subjects that um, the best way I like to put it is I, I live in the gray area because there's too much hate, anger and fear about narcissism. Okay, there's just too much. And then I'm not going to be like, oh, lovey dovey. Oh, they're, you know, so great. I really live in the gray area because I want to support people in releasing that fear and the victimization and the anger and all of that. But I also want them to feel a sense of, of wisdom and to have some kindness and some compassion and understanding because the real truth is a narcissist isn't born that way. We humans create them and how they're created is six different ways. Um, that there's three parenting styles, the neglectful parent, which would be, let's say, a woman that's really, really beautiful. She had a child, but she's not really, she just, she's just too much into herself, you know, doesn't want to play with the kid, doesn't want to interact. The next one is an absent parent, like a CEO or president of the company. They'll throw money at the kid, you know, and shower them with gifts, but they're not emotionally available. Not there, yeah. Yeah, and then there's the authoritarian, the really strict parent. And, and then the other three ways is bullying, child abuse, and trauma. And when I say trauma is I'm working with a, a young girl, she's in her 20s, and her mom accidentally died when she was a teenager. And it was so painful for her. And then she got traumatized again because her dad couldn't give her the emotional support she needed because she was grieving so bad. So she literally felt like the world was not a safe place and she shut down and she just lived in her survivor brain like narcissist people do for a long, long time. And now she's struggling with severe anxiety. She has trouble holding down a job. She has a hard time connecting with other people because now she's formed this avoidant attachment style where she's Mm. very independent, but she's doesn't feel like she needs people. She dismisses people. She seems cold and she doesn't like it. And so I'm really working with her 
and letting her know that, yeah, you can be temporarily narcissistic, but it doesn't, but you can change. And I did do a podcast about can a narcissist change? I, I talk about identity erosion. I talk about attachment styles. I talk about how to decode and detect someone that's narcissist, um, recovering from psychological abuse, how to communicate with difficult people and fear of dating another narcissist. I really try to find topics and subjects to talk about these uncomfortable things, but in a way where you can get it. Would a narcissist be drawn to another narcissist just because that's what they're used to? Like if you're going to um, date? Yes, you can. Um, yes, to avoidant. Uh, yes. Um, the ones that are really close to narcissistic ones would be um, an avoidant attachment style. And then there's a disorganized attachment style. And I, I break that down in, in my podcast. And you can because that's what was modeled to you growing up. So you mm -hmm. seek what is familiar. So if you um, were grown up in an environment where you, let's say, had a lot of chaos, had a lot of drama and stuff, you're going to gravitate towards people that are similar to you. And it's really hard because when you meet someone that has a secure attachment or, you know, had a healthy upbringing, you're going to find those people to be boring. He doesn't yeah. have passion. He's, yeah. you know, he. You kind of uh, need the chaos. It's like, you kind of like, yeah. you know, I deal with a lot of artists, like musicians. And part of being a musician is sometimes our best work comes from heartbreak. Right. Yes. So what happens is a lot of artists, in order to like, well, my best work happens from like they going through these crucibles. So we go through crucibles to force the art, right? Yeah. So then it's like, sometimes it's not so comfortable being around an artist because they keep on creating the train wreck because that generates the topic <laughs> that gets them the, the the song that people identify with. But if yeah. you have to live with them, it's hard to live with them because they're kind of going through this chaos all the time and creating like these very, like, you know, hyper yeah. situations that are way beyond what you probably would want, you know, because they have to go through it to write that work. And, you know, if, if most of the time it's not happy, it's like being unhappy is what causes them to write the good work. And so then they stay unhappy all the time. And that's not probably the best situation to be in. <laughs> no. But, um, and the thing is, is if they believe that, then that's their belief that they have, because you, you know, you can write a song that is, so full of love. I mean, we've, we've heard songs like that, that are just yeah. so full of love that it just, you feel it in your bones. Or, yeah. or like a Stevie that, Wonder, like a Stevie Wonder yeah. would write songs that are very, um, uh, very forward thinking, very open-minded, very spiritual. But then you have like the heartbreak songs, like yes. the, the songs that like, you know, make you sad, like Carpenter, Karen Carpenter sad, you know, they yeah. kind of epitomize <laughs> sadness like even though she was saying something happy yeah. her voice kind of epitomizes sadness so it has a melancholy in it in itself and so when yeah. you listen to it it has like a duality and you're like oh and, and maybe because people found out but even when i was listening to it in the 70s i'm a child of the 70s i kind of felt a melancholy in her voice before i knew what happened to her you know later it just seemed to be like that's part of her whole motif right and a lot of artists, they they tend to do that. I mean, you have the happy songs, but it seems like the heartbreak songs are the ones that a lot of artists are kind of caught up in that loop. But Well, it's interesting because I remember when I was younger, I used to love the song, um, I Can See Clearly Now It's Raining. You know, I Can See mm -hmm. Clearly Now It's Raining yeah. Now. But when you listen to all the lyrics, oh, it's a whole different story. Yeah, the lyrics sometimes are different than than the actual mood of the music. Yes, and it's like a, there's a duality in, that we songwriters like to like to play with. <clears throat> sometimes we create something that's very has a good beat or very has really cool, you know, catchy hooks. But if you really read the lyrics, it's depressing yeah. or it's super melancholy. It's not what it appears to be. I mean, we we kind of use it as a as a trick. It's not well. It's like a writing trick. You know, yeah. when you're writing to kind of draw somebody in, sometimes people really don't listen to the lyrics. They really don't yes. fully get it. They might hear the chorus 
and they missed a point. Yes. Like, like born in the USA. You might think he's saying I'm a patriot, but he's saying I'm a long gone daddy of the USA. You know, like I came back from Vietnam and things aren't going right. But if all you listen to is the is I'm born in the USA, you might think yes. it's a patriotic song, but it's not. If you listen to the whole thing, it tells a story that's very sad about a guy coming back, back from Vietnam and nothing's working right. But you might misinterpret that. And and that's one of the, you know, the tricks of being a songwriter is like you could get a lot of people thinking it's one thing when it's something else. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, that's what I've kind of, you know, learned I exactly is some people really listen to the lyrics and get the message. And and some people, you know, don't. And that's where um, it's gotten harder for me with the way that music has changed nowadays to appreciate and listen to the style of songs that are being created because it's yeah, modern like music is more, of, is more just yeah. lack of self-respect or you know yeah there's a lot of music forms today that don't go through what I call songcraft like if you yeah. think about the Beatles even Pink Floyd you think about older bands right they yeah. they had yeah, even the structure, I, I'm a producer, right? People would have, like, you have the intro, you have the melody, you have the chorus, you have an outro, you have fills. People don't do that. People who just have a beat. Yeah. And they keep on repeating the beat. Right? They have a hook and they keep on repeating it to death. Right? They keep on doing the same thing. And it's very, like, repetitive. And sometimes what I call it, like, fast food music. Right? It really exactly. doesn't. It doesn't like like Dylan. Like Dylan is my roadmap. Like the Beatles are my roadmap. Pink Floyd, like Hendrix. You get people who actually put something. Like even Jim Morrison. Like he was writing poetry. But Dylan, that's poetry. You know, you, people, we used to put time in to actually develop a structure. And it's a story. But people want to spend five minutes. They want to hear it in two minutes and 30 seconds. In two minutes and 30 seconds, you're never really going to get a story. Right. That's going to really tell you that much. It's just going to be done. It's going to come in and it's going to be done. That, so that's like fast food music. It's ha you can go and do something. You can jog to it. You can do something else to it. But you're not actually sitting in a basement listening to a Pink Floyd record on vinyl all the way through or the, or Sgt. Pepper's all the way through. That's not what you're doing with a lot of the modern music. Yeah, it's interesting. My son's... Um... 14 and he's been really digging older music like he um this morning when i walked in his room he was listening to fleetwood mac and i was like yeah, yes! that's class classic songwriting it tells a story all those songs tell a story they yeah. have like three singers they're singing like unbelievably well together you know stevie nicks and they're like you know if you think about it the singers in that band it's like like a Beatle. It's like they're still trying to channel the Beatles where yeah. voices are important. Song structure is important. Telling a story is important. That's a classic band. You know, you get things you know, like the Eagles. That's a classic band. Yeah. Yeah, India, the old screen, even Zeppelin, the Who, they they, they even Tommy. That's a rock opera. It tells a story. Quadrophena, that tells a story. You know, Sticks, they had stories. Like a whole album told a story. Now people just want a beat or a hook or something that's outrageous. Yeah. And so it's outrageous. And that's what, you know, so, so the main thing to me is like, you're, you're just writing a song so you can get a Ferrari. Right. So the, the, the writer is like, you're not writing a song to be like Dylan to actually tell, say something or Lou Reed. Cause he's a real poet. You're yeah. actually just trying to cause, cause havoc and cause, Oh, well, it would get all the parents upset because you're saying something deep outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I, I do wish that, you know, I, my goal as a producer is to try to do things that are a little bit more depth, you know, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in a diff different world. I do experimental music, so it's not designed to be in the top 10. <clears throat> but that's, you know, I, I kind of long for the days when, when it had more meaning. But within the genre I work in, I, I just do what I can. But yeah, I think, I think it's important for people to have a good soundtrack to their lives that actually is meaningful. Um, and it would be cool, like if you could, if kids today could take a song from the top twenty, and twenty years from now they're going to remember it. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> right, and well, that's actually a really good point because I, I don't think a a, a lot of them, you know, <clears throat> well, because there's, you know, it's it's 
the music's got to, you know, move, move you. It's got to speak to you. It's, you know, it's got to leave in a, you know, a, a positive impression, you know, on you. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, I I'm love a big music. <laughs> music is like air, you know, you can't. Yeah. Well, to me, it's like as, as a musician, we write the music because it's like, you have that feeling you want to convey it. And I think I always looked at music in uh, George Martin from the Beatles, like, you know, their producer said, you know, I, I want to think about music like Monet thinks about expressionist paintings. So when I took the Beatles and we started doing Abbey Road, or I mean, doing Sgt. Pepper's and Rubber Soul, the idea was that you could create a sound painting. And Hendrix talked about this too. People asked him, what's electric lady? Why do I hear birds? Why do I hear ocean? Why do I hear all these things? Say, well, I'm trying to create a sound painting. So the idea is that that song is going to reflect like more than just a song, but like, like a cinematic picture. And yeah. when, when you're an artist, if you can go and use the studio as your canvas, you layer sounds on top of each other to invoke different things. Yeah. And that's like, it's a, it's a, you're really working as an artist, not just a hook maker. You're trying to do something that's actually going to be permanent in, in the kind of canon of the music. And there were artists back in the 70s and 80s, even even to the 2000s, that cared about doing it that way. And it's like less less and less, you know, it's more corporate and things that people don't want to do because it's quicker to make a buck. But I think it really roots into like, you know, I think that music has been for me a way to take my emotions and put it into art. Yes. And when people take away the art of it, it is kind of depressing. Because, you know, then you feel like it's just being marketed for a different reason, not for the art. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I get what you mean, because a lot of when I when I do my work, when I do like a custom recording for a person, it really is art because I'm weaving in all these different elements and I make sure I pick the music that would go perfect mm -hmm. for the message that I have. And, and sometimes, you know, like for someone's induction, if they want to go to a tropical island, I have really nice music. I have the sound of the ocean waves in the background. I yeah, have, you're you know, putting together like a sound painting. A sound yes, painting or like a cinematic kind of thing. sound painting. And then I'm walking them through it. And some people have literally said that before I say something, they already see it in their mind's eye and it blows them away. Or when I say, you're going to feel this sensation and right before I say it, they're already feeling it. And it's like, it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you really can connect with another, you know, human being energetically and just create this beautiful tapestry of, of change. And That's what I try to, yeah, I've, I've been trying to promote to people on my podcast that like because of the fast food music that people need to take time uh -huh. and unplug from their phone, right? Turn the messages off, turn the notifications off, quit getting all the Twitter feeds, right? And all the TikTok and just take an artist and listen to their whole work, right? Take an album and listen to it all the way through, right? And in and, and that itself can be a very common thing like meditation. I kind of yeah. use music to kind of fall into, it's like reading a novel. Like if you get a really good album, like a Pink Floyd album, if you think about like Wish You Were Here or, or you know, that that album or even Animals, if you actually listen to the whole record, it has a whole mood and it's like, you know, listening to a novel. You know, that's when you have a really good artist, you get drawn into it like a film or a play yep. or a good TV show. And it's a way to kind of take your brain away from all these other distractions. Because if you're on the phone and you're on your iPad, you're getting hit with all this stuff. Sometimes it's good it's to separate from that and just focus. Like read a book. You know, that's a good thing. Just do that or read yeah. a poem. But listen to, a, listen to an artist and actually get the full picture of who they are. You know, not just like their top song. Because the artist, a lot of times, there's a lot more depth in, in what is not ju just their single. It's like who they are is represented in their work. And if you listen to the whole thing, it's like reading just the cliff notes to a novel. Are you getting the full picture? Probably not. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is like with any human or an individual, there's so much depth in all of us. 
and there's so much, you know, knowledge and creativity. It's what are you willing to share with the world and what are you just, and what are you going to keep to yourself? And, and the most important thing I, I feel is your relationship with yourself is, is key because if you can't have a healthy relationship with yourself, you're going to struggle having healthy relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. Cause it's that saying you can't give what you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, just people are so distracted today to try to get people to focus. You know, sometimes it's good. You know, even like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist and we, we meditate and we chant and we focus for like a half hour or, or an hour. And you know, that's Eastern philosophy. And it's like, sometimes that's good because in the Western world, it's like we get so caught up yep. in, 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 in all the distractions and we don't know how to kind of get out of it until somebody tells you like, Oh, learn how to breathe, breathing exercise or go do yoga. But you have to find a way to get out of that train. You get off that loop because you just keep on doing the same thing and you get into repetitive actions that are damaging. You know, people just sitting there playing video games all day or people with this running on their phone all day, kind of read the latest tweet and they get addicted to it. They get addicted to things that you give them a carpal tunnel. <laughs> well, know, it's, like, it's a distraction from, re, you know, reality. And it's, um, it's really on, on, it is, it's really unhealthy because, um, there's so much more to life. There really is so much more to life than, and it, it's, it surprises me how some people can be on Instagram or Facebook for a half an hour or even more. And they're like, Oh my God, where'd the time go? Yeah. Well, and, that's what the, the, the new kind of addiction and it's really yeah. not, it's taken away. Like you could be doing some art, you know, you yeah. could be exercising, you could be, you know, making your body uh, a better, better. You could be doing something more positive than running your your thumbs and giving yourself carpal tunnel. You know, it's like for what? You know, are you giving yourself a carpal tunnel for what? Like that. You know, if you have one thing, practicing a piano or a flute or being an athlete or you know jogging or skiing or swimming or I mean, going for a nature walk, but it's in there using your thumbs, reading the latest like uh, reel or you know or or, or tweet or whatever, or something coming through on Twitch. It's like, why? Why are you doing that with all your time? And yeah. then it really has taken away from other art where people don't read novels. They don't read the poetry. They don't read the newspaper. They don't, they, there's things that would be better for your head, you know, if you actually went to the library and picked up a book. <laughs> but, uh, well, and I remember I did this whole podcast about um, self-care and that's the critical thing too, is like, there's so many things that you could be doing that is self-care for you, which is like creating music. It could be doing a painting. It could be journaling. It could be exercise. It could be meditation. It could be surfing. It could be snowboarding. You know, mm -hmm. there's all these things to like, what feeds your soul? And I'm just going to say it, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook does not feed your soul, okay? Yeah, I mean, it gives yeah. you a temporary gratification, you know, satisfaction, but there's so much more to life that really feeds your soul, like just going outside in nature. And, yeah. and, I, and I tell people that when you, let's say, finally go outside in nature and you're in this place where you feel so connected. Everything is alive and thriving. Some people actually break down and cry. And what it means is you got so depleted that you got so disconnected that you had to be in this environment to give back to yourself. Well, I think, uh, I don't know if it was Longfellow that had a poem about the, the cathedral is nature. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's an old, um, like a Victorian poetry about like the cathedral is, is nature itself. So you go out into oh, the yeah. woods and you, that is the cathedral. I'm a mountain biker, I'm a hiker and I'm a snow snowboarder and a snowshoer. I live in New Hampshire, so I got tons of places to go. And so, you know, I can just go out to a river trail like 10 minutes from my house and just walk it. And there's it, like this really beautiful area in our woods 
where all these monarch butterflies actually migrate every year wow. and they just they just stay in this one area where all these blueberry bushes are. And I just found it one time. I said, wow, so these are where all the monarchs are around here. And it was just a, like, it was such a great find. I was like, wow. That I kind of like, I told my my daughter and I told some of my friends, I didn't want them to like scare off the monarchs. But the idea is like, you, you go out into nature and that was like, wow, I found this monarch like little zone where they found a place where they felt safe. They felt like that was their, like their, 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 mating ground or like it was a stop or something yeah. and that to me is fantastic that's what i loved about mountain biking because i'd be going in these trails and you can go really far into the woods beyond what you can hike because you can go further on your bike yeah and and you actually you know i don't have headphones i'm not listening to a walkman i'm actually listening to the woods you yeah. know and i'm listening to, you know watch see the deer see the see the you know turkeys and see you know, like coyotes and see foxes. And in the thing is, once you're there and you respect them, yep. you know, I've been a mountain bike for 20 years. It's like, it's something about being in the woods. It's like being a woodsman, you know, it's a different type of thing. And it, it is a way to get out of the city life, to get out of the, you know, you're not on the Twitter, you're not on any of that. You're, you're right. riding a bike. And I was like, it's a really cool way to get out of that. You know, and, and you, it's a really cool aerobic exercise. You know, it is. It's magical being out in, in nature. I, I I used to, when I was in my early 20s, I used to date a professional mountain biker. And he gave me a mountain, one of his older mountain bikes from mm -hmm. the last season he had. And oh my God, I had so much fun mountain biking and going That's around so the lake much. and just... <laughs> I love I, it. Oh, I did it every day. Whenever the weather was nice, I would spend like an hour, hour and a half mountain biking and I could just get lost. It's so fun mountain. to be able to, to go through the woods like that when you have a good bike. Oh, yeah. And you actually can climb the hill because yep. you have the grand gear and you can you can actually come down the hill because yep. I got a you know suspension bike. So I can go through like everything. I can come down a creek bed. I can go yeah. up a creek bed. I yeah. can go off of like, you know, rocks and, and land and not get messed up. Yeah. And it, it's just something about being able to be that rugged, but you're not polluting. You're not like you're on a right. like a gas powered bike and you're making all the animals run away. Like you can actually kind of be there and not disturb them as much yeah. as you would with a like a powered vehicle. And so yeah. I, I just love the fact that you can get, you know, I've had animals be able to, I've, I've, I've stopped and have deer come up to me. And I've, I've been able to like, you know, talk to beavers. Beavers like we're talking to me. <laughs> so like, cool. Yeah, it's a totally cool thing. And I'm part like Cherokee and Blackfoot Indian, so I think it's partly my Indian heritage that I can. You know, people used to say like, Keith, why are you stopping? It's like, well, these animals want to talk, so why wouldn't I stop? Like, I'm not. It's like I'm not on the clock. If right, they want, exactly. I want to stop. If they're coming to see me, I that actually means something. Yeah. You know, based on what my great grandmother said, if an animal comes to you, that's a spirit animal. And they're trying to tell you something. You ought to stop and listen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but you know, in in our world, people are like, "Well, I got I gotta go somewhere." So it's like, I don't got time for that. It's like, well, I, you're gonna have to wait because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so cool. That's beautiful. No, I I firmly, it's really being you know present in the moment and really viewing the moment as what it is because that moment is only there now it will not be there in five minutes or whatever it's the magic is in that moment right now right then in that moment and what are you going to do with it are you going to let it pass on by or are you going to engage with it and fully be present and one with that and when you do, it is, it's almost like it's sacred. It's so spiritual. It's so magical. Well, in the church, you know, they, they like, yeah. I think it's like the cathedral is nature, right? So like, if you get out there, like there is no clock. When I'm in the woods, I don't have a clock. You know, I'm going to, I'm just going to let it, let it happen. It's kind of like, you know, like as a musician, sometimes like I've been with me, I'm, I'm more into jazz, right? So a lot of us will be, yeah, the guy, I, I always have trouble with the guy that's like writing down every bar. Like when I work with somebody and they got to write down every bar and it's got to be like, like a classical piece and it's all 
so tightly controlled there's like no room for anything right where if i'm with a bunch of guys doing jazz it's very improvisational it's kind of stream of consciousness yeah it's kind of like there's no time clock there's no like we're not trying to oh it has to be perfect oh you gotta go back and stop you gotta stop because you didn't hit the note right like no like, like if i do fusion jazz we'll have a theme but we can go off and come back and go off and come back and we can do whatever we want and it's it does it, it, it the imperfection of it is the beauty of it right, right? the idea that you got to be totally predicted predictable i i don't like that I'm, I'm more of an artist that's like you know i'm going to kind of stream of consciousness i'm going to just kind of riff it and it's the way i like to live even when i'm out you know doing other things like the way i do this podcast i don't record it i do it live because i'd rather do it like that right i think it's more natural that's just a choice yeah but no that's really cool i mean i'm i'm kind of like the same way with with dance so I, I love to dance and I tried taking dance classes and I hated it because the music would say something to me in my body, but I couldn't be like one, two, three, four, one. You got to do the exact two, step. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I hated it. Hated it. Hated it. But when friends have seen me dance, I tell them, I'm like, I am one with the music. You know, like my body moves with it mm -hmm. and flows with it and I get lost in it. And it's so magical. I mean, it's just it's so beautiful that I just can't I, I can't connect with the the other form of dance style. I mean, I can appreciate it and respect it, but it just doesn't, you know, work. Yeah, for it's me like a classically, if you think about people, like, yeah, yeah, if you think about a ballet dancer, they've got it really tight, just like a classical yeah. musician. They sheet read. Right. Yeah. If you, most jazz fusion, we don't sheet read. Not that I can't. It's just sheet reading a piece of jazz is like, it's like, that's the kind of like, no, that doesn't work. Right. Because the whole point is that you feel it. And that right. it's a point in time type of art. Like, so that performance, you know, that, that somebody's doing like Coltrane, he did a performance every night. It's going to be slightly different because right. based on how you feel, like a blues guy, every time they play it, yeah, there's a certain structure to it, but they're going to perform it differently. Hendrix performed his songs differently every night, had the same structure, but they would go off. And that's what it is. And you listen to the Allman Brothers, they would do that. You know, it's like that is like fusion or jam band. There's something about that. You know, even the Grateful Dead were famous for that. They have these long two hour, four hour, five hour things because that's that's what it is. Like in, in the fans like, that understand that, they appreciate that. But yeah, it is. It is yeah, the free flowing kind of improvisational stuff is is more freeing for an artist than you know. I would hate to have to keep on playing Hotel California note for note <laughs> every night. It would drive me crazy. I was like, I would just get out. I like get out the business. I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, I hear. It's not you. gonna happen. But um, yeah, I think what's what's really interesting though is like what you've picked up on is this undetected narcissist and how important it is to identify them right and uh, and let people know that you know it's not them right because a lot of people i think put everything on themselves like if some things are people put a lot of of the blame on themselves right? is that what you have to like have people unlearn i think what a lot of people have to unlearn is um that they're not they're not a victim i think that's a big thing a lot of people have to unlearn because they get stuck in that anger and feeling like they were victimized and everything and yes in some way you know what you did experience you 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 were a victim but a lot of times some of the behaviors that happen are unconscious they are automatic and the and the best way when i do presentations about narcissism is i like to talk about the brain so where most people live is up in the cortex brain and for a narcissist they live in the limbic brain which has to do with survival you know, fight, flight, freeze, hypervigilant and stuff, because 
they that's how they learn to survive. I mean, we're all about self-preservation. And so they learned these behaviors at, you know, whatever age, you know, stage that they were. And the problem that happens is every single narcissist that's come up to me and has thanked me for, you know, talking and doing the presentation all said the same thing. They all said that they could feel themselves slipping from the cortex down into the survivor brain. And what I told them to do is I said, okay, really, really good. And why it's good is it's a crossroad. So in that crossroad, you have two things you can do. You can either go down that low road and rip that person apart and ruin that friendship, that relationship that you've always been doing. You can go down that road. But if you really care about that person, you want to salvage the friendship or relationship, you know, you don't want to be a complete jerk. What I want you to do is say, Hey, I'm getting really angry right now. And I know I'm going to say something or do something that I will later regret. And that's the key thing I need to stress is the narcissist doesn't have empathy, but they do have regret. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they do feel guilt. A sociopath does not. Does not have guilt. They do not have regret and they don't have empathy. So you can be a sociopathic narcissist, but the narcissists that were not sociopathic, I told them, tell them that say, Hey, I'm getting really, really angry. I need to walk away. I need to calm down. I need to clear my mind because I care about you. And this, this friendship relationship is important to me. And so I tell them to do that, walk away and look at something that's going to redirect you. Mm -hmm. And, and each time you do that, you're creating a new pattern, a new healthy way of acting, thinking and behaving. You're literally creating new neuro pathways in your brain. And the more you do it, the stronger it gets. So you're disc, you're deactivating the nasty, bad habit that you always do. And you're creating a new positive one. And the more you do it, it will then anchor and it will be supported. And so with one narcissistic guy, I told him to make video recordings of him playing with his daughter because he loved his daughter. You know, make videos of it with the light in her eyes and she's laughing, she's giggling. Do the same with your wife, you know, interacting with your daughter. And every time you get mad, step outside and play that video and say to yourself out loud, if you can, I'm doing this for us. I oh, am so, you, so you don't do the negative behavior. You kind yeah. of just stop yourself when you think yeah. you're going to do it. So you can yeah. like redirect and actually yeah. retrain the narcissist to not be as as much of a narcissist yes yeah and the guy literally um i saw him like eight months later and he was so happy and he was smiling he um he was moving to a different state he's like i want you to meet my wife i want you to meet my daughter and he was a completely different man i mean it was so nice to see him change and even though he said he still struggles with his demons he now has them under control. Well, you showed somebody like a lot of times if people don't have a roadmap on how to behave, if all they ever yeah. got was bad behavior, then they don't. It's like an alcoholic. Like if your father was an alcoholic and all you saw him do is get smashed, like dead drunk, drink the whole bottle, then that's what you do because you, that's what you saw. But if you it's don't see any way to, yeah, if you don't see a way to get out of it, then you keep on repeating it. They do become the blackout alcoholic. Because your grandfather was, his great-grandfather was, you are, your uncle is, everybody, that's what they did. That's what you do. Until you, the day you decide, well, you don't want to do that anymore. Because you don't want to repeat that because you see the damage that it does. So right. you change. You know, the same thing with, like, you know, if, whether you're in that, you know, uh, other addictions or you're, like, a gambling. or It's all the same pattern. If you saw something and you got pulled into it, it seems like if you find a way to relearn. You know, one thing I, I'm, a, I'm a, an IT and part of the thing, one thing I love about being an information technology is we have to relearn all the time. We can't just say, 
oh, I've been doing something for 20 years and that's fine. I have to new, learn new technologies. I can go into school all the time. Right. So I can't hold on to say, I'm an expert. I'm the best. I have to go learn blockchain or I have to learn AWS or I have to learn, you know, Java. I have to learn new stuff. And I, I like, I, I sometimes there's stuff I don't know. So I have to know what I don't know. And it, it, what right. I've, it's actually in my job has helped me realize like, Hey, I don't know everything. I have to, I have to, there's always going to be something new. I'm going to have to learn it. And it's really helped me a lot in, in that I can not be trying to hold on to something and say, Hey, that's, you know, I just found a way that I thought that that, that worked for me to, to realize that I don't have to be stuck. That I actually need right. to learn and, and, and reinvent myself all the time. Well, what I tell a lot of, um, I've been telling clients for years is when we do those addictive behaviors, we are seeking an outside source of comfort because we are struggling inside. Because when you feel more secure about yourself, about your situation, about life, you know, you're doing that self-care in a healthy way, giving back to you you're, and working on your stuff you are less likely to do those addictive behaviors because then you are feeling good inside. You have self-respect, you have self-pride, you, 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 you accept yourself, you know, that you're perfectly imperfect and you just take one, one day, you know, at, at a time. And, and it, and it's, you know, it's easier said than done, but I, that's what I love about, you know, hypnotherapy or meditation or, you know, even breath work, you know, different things mm -hmm. that we can do. It's really just coming back to center back to us and, you know, clearing your mind of all that unnecessary garbage. And, and I've, I've told, I've, I mean, I've worked with people that are alcoholics, people that are, have oxycontin addictions that are you know addicted to drugs i've i've worked with all kinds of people um mm -hmm. even like psychic phone addiction i've worked with people <laughs> like that i mean yeah. just seriously i remember one woman would spend almost between 500 to a thousand dollars a month on that and, yeah 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 and just on you know and i had to tell her you know in her subconscious mind that the psychic is not your friend you no, they're just a scammer. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> another. They're just like going to the, the horse races, you know, or going to the casino. Yeah. It's the same thing. I do have to kind of cut it. We're at an hour for our okay. distributors, but but I did love being able to talk to you because the, you're bringing a different perspective that I hadn't really um, discussed on this podcast before. And I want everybody to go to your website. And is that where everything? Can you get to your podcast from there? Um, can you get to all your sources from there? Um, you pretty much can. Yeah. Um, the podcast is on all the platforms. It's on audible. It's on Amazon music, Apple, mm -hmm. Pandora, Spotify. It's on all of that. Um, the undetected narcissist. And when I do the podcast, I really, I like to incorporate a blog post with it that has mm -hmm. additional supporting information. So that's on the website as well. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I don't scroll through it, but I'm on it. I just. Right. But I think it's great that, that we're, we'll, we're on um, Spotify later today. Okay. Um, well, well, most likely this is going to get published tomorrow because it's late for me. But yeah. like uh, it will get fully published. It was live on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch, and uh, right. Facebook. But we will be fully published on um, through Anchor FM on the Spotify video podcast and Apple podcast and radio public and a bunch of other plans. We on familyelectricghost.com, we have a blogger page and every interview we do, we create a blog for it. We also create a landing page. They'll have all the social media. So you'll get a landing page with the Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Spotify, Apple, all that um, by, by tomorrow. You. And uh, if you send us your email, we'll, we'll give you the um, other form of the, uh, the, the forms though you can actually clip it up yourself so you can use well, it to let your your viewers know because i've had people listen to me and be like well how do i get a hold of you so my email is angela at undetectednarcissist.com okay great hey through yeah. the private chat if you type that in i can grab that and then send your file okay Here's i will do it now angela at undetectednarcissist.com 
And then I can get that to you. And I, do you want that included on the um, the actual description? Because I can add that. Or um, you yeah, want... you can add it in the description as well. Yeah, okay, cool. Because some people don't want that because they don't want to get a lot of okay. emails. <laughs> so I no, asked. I, I, I really appreciate when people, you know, email me and just even ask questions because I know how it was. I literally know how it was to just be so confused and so in the dark and um and it, it and it was it can be scary it can be really frustrating and sometimes mm -hmm. you just need someone that you can talk to that has been there that can relate with you and can give you good sound solid advice well i think our audience will appreciate that we have a lot of creators that probably hit the wall sometimes and uh you know they, they use art to work through the feelings I do have a, a large uh, fan base of other producers and writers and musicians and artists. And sometimes we do um, need some help and it's cool when we find new resources like yourself. So I'm hoping uh, that the other, my other artist friends that I've, I talked to for, for a while since 2016, take advantage of that email. And if they need to talk to me, they will. Um, thank you very much for being on the program. Thank you. And you have a blessed day. Thank you. You have okay. a good night. Or All right. Day. Okay. <laughs> I always Bye. forget what time zone I'm in. <laughs> it's okay. It's probably nighttime by now. It's getting night.